0: Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Good morning, church family. It is so, so good to be together. So good to see you all. So it's Labor Day weekend. That's a good thing, right? Right. Nice long weekend. It was beautiful yesterday. Today's gonna be nice. Anyone doing a barbecue or something, maybe? No? No barbecues? Oh, It's time. It's a perfect weekend for it. All right, well, listen, uh, I've got some bad news for you, actually. So, what time is it now? It's like 11 o'clock. All right, so, you know, in about, I don't know, 36 hours or so, maybe a little sooner, you guys are gonna pull out your phones, you're gonna set your alarm clocks, and you're gonna get into bed. And the reason for that is because you know that in just like six, seven, eight hours after that, you're going to have to get up and go to work. And you're going to have to, if you're a student, you're going to have to go to school, which in our house has been deemed the word that shall not be spoken for, uh, for Harry Potter fans out there, right? And it's like, oh, you're like thinking to yourself, dude, why'd you just ruin my Sunday? Like, what is that about? And the reason is because when we think about going to work sometimes, it kind of gives us this, this sort of collective ugh, doesn't it? So maybe you don't have to think about getting up in the morning just yet. But as we've been singing here about how, how God himself is the breath in our lungs— and, and that singing about our love for Jesus, if part of my allegiance to Jesus is that every corner and every crevice of my life would be rethought and reevaluated and experienced in light of the good news about Jesus, well, then maybe the question that is before us is how does following Jesus inform how we spend the majority of our waking hours, which is largely doing some type of work, whatever type of work that might be, right? You're an engineer, you're a plumber, you're a nurse, you're a homemaker, um, you're a student, whatever it is that you spend your waking hours doing. And I think that if we ask that question, we started to have some discussion about it, we get a variety of answers, I think, right? We would, you know, maybe we would be saying that, oh, well, you know, My work has to do with my relationship with Jesus because I get the opportunity to share about the good news of Jesus Christ to my co-workers. And man, that is so, so good. Or or, uh, I get to earn money to support um, the mission of God here at Beacon and throughout the world. And man, what a generous church family Beacon is. And working and earning money is part of what makes that possible, right? Or, or, uh, you know, I get to earn a paycheck so that I can support my family and put food on the table and, um, you know, send my kids to college or or whatever it might be. And and again, that is just good. Or or maybe you would say, you know, I actually don't see much connection between my work and my relationship with Jesus, and maybe I should just quit my job and, I don't know, become a pastor or something, right? Wherever wherever you fall on on that little spectrum there, I I would say this. I, I would say that all of the good things that I just mentioned that come from our work, That our work is not less than that in its goodness, but I would propose that it is more. That maybe the question really is, do these motivations for work paint a full picture, paint a complete picture of the relationship between our work and the good news about Jesus? Well, Jesus and his apostles had a lot to say about this. Um, Jesus and his apostles believed that somehow this eternal, redeeming story of the gospel doesn't make our work here meaningless, but in fact makes it more meaningful. And I think part of the problem that we have, part of the reason we have this kind of collective ugh, uh, is that we kind of lack a, a grand story for our work. Why it matters that we work as a Christian. But interestingly, the Bible tells a grand story about this exact thing. And any story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think for us to kind of unpack this together and kind of see this grand story of work, we need to kind of see the beginning, the middle, and the end. And we're kind of living in the middle right now. So we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start with the story of work up until now. We find ourselves in the middle of the story, and we're going to see the story of work going forward. So if you unpack the story together? Yes? All right, let's do it. All right, so how does any epic story start? It starts with something like um, once upon a time, maybe, right? In a land far, far away, right? Um, a long, long time ago, some stories start like that, right? Maybe in the beginning, ding, 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 we have a winner. All right, let's start with that one. All right, in the beginning, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does any of this have to do with work? We're going to see. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, so real quick, before we, we're going to spend a little time in Genesis 1. Lots of disagreement about whether these verses in Genesis chapter 1 exist to tell us like how everything came about or not. But we got to realize we're talking about, he's talking about heaven and earth here. When we say the word earth, what comes to mind for us? Picture of the globe, Right? Um, And how long has that picture of the globe really been available to us? Since satellite technology, right? So since the 60s, right? So maybe 60, 70 years. This was written 3,500 years ago. So the image that the author of Genesis has when he says heavens and earth is much broader than that. He's saying God created the heavens, which to him is just everything up there. And God created the earth, which is just everything down here. That's pretty much what he says. And then he's like, well, that's it. And he goes on from there. And look at what he says. He says, now the earth, so everything down here was formless and empty. So formless and empty in the Hebrew is, uh, it's a cool little rhyme, actually. It's, it's formless and, and empty in the Hebrew is tohu vavohu. It's really fun to say. It's as fun as it, it, it looked. You kind of want to say it, don't you? Yeah, let's say it together. Tovu vavohu. Go ahead. So now when you go into your kid's room and it's a mess later, you can be like, Tommy, it's tohu vavohu in here. You can be like, Dad, what are you talking about? So, but you can do that. So tohu vavohu, uh, one Jewish scholar translates it as like wild and waste. So what does God do with this formless and empty space at the beginning of this story? Well, let's take a look. Verse 3. What does he do? He's, God says, let there be light. And God separates the light from the darkness. And what is it that he's starting to create? Right? He doesn't even actually make anything yet. Just by separating light and darkness, he's, he's setting order. He's creating what we understand as time, right? We, we mark our days by a day and a night. And he's creating time for us, right? Verse 9. He, he, he makes land and sea. The, the, the scriptures talk about how he orders the oceans and the and the continents. And he looks at all of that. He sees first day and night and he says it's good. Then he makes land and sea out of this formless and empty space. And he says it's good. Verse 11. It says he creates he creates and he produces from the ground. He causes from the ground f- um, to bear nutrition for the, the benefit of of his creation. And he takes a look, a look at that and he says, it's good, right? Verse, uh, verse 14, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and he creates light and, and energy that brings about more of that, um, of that goodness from the earth. And he looks at that and he says, it's good, Verse 20, he creates aquatic life and he creates all of the birds in the sky. And if you Google real quick what we know about aquatic life, it is breathtaking because of of the millions of species and types of aquatic life, uh, most marine biologists says we haven't even scratched the surface on what God has created underneath the surface of the water. Right? Amazing, amazing. And God looks at all of that. And he says, it is good. And over and over again, as he's, as he's working this formless and void space into something, he keeps saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. So the Hebrew word for good is the word tov. Which is kind of a play on words here. Because what he's doing is, he's turning tohu vavohu into tov. And, and this is what God is doing. So who is it that we see is the very first worker in the Bible? It's God. Right? It's God himself. Look at what Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 says. It says by the seventh day God had finished the what? work. Work that he had been doing. On the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done. The very, very first worker, that's the first time the word work is found in the Bible. The very first worker in the Bible is God himself, taking tohu vavohu and making it into tov. So then it begs the question, well then, how do you and I fit in to that? Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 126. Look at what he says. He says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, sorry, I felt a little behind there. Uh, God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you see what he's saying here? so There's a lot to be said about what it means to be made in the image of God. There's so much to that. We spend a lot of time unpacking it right here at church as we learn the scriptures together. What it means that we have a deep capacity to love and to feel and to be generous and to be compassionate like no other species on the planet. All of that is, in fact, part of what it means to be made in the image of God. But what is the context that the author is talking about here when God says, Let me make mankind in my image? It's with respect to the fact that God is creating us to be co creators, co cultivators of his world. He says, I just made all this stuff, I just turned Tohu, to, tohu Vavohu into Tov. And now he said, let us create man in our image to co-rule, to subdue the earth, to rule over it. So humans actually are the very first co-workers. Isn't that something? It's like, it's like you can talk to God, the very first, first uh, worker at the, the, uh, the water cooler or something during, during lunch break. Because humanity is the very, very first co-worker In the Bible. And at this point in the story, work is good. Look at verse, uh, um, yes, yes. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And if you know how this story goes, things go horribly wrong really soon. We're going to cover it in a second. But this is before that happened. This is when all was well in the Garden of Eden. And we were created to work, to co-rule, to co-create with God, to cultivate and bring about his good world. That's the reason why the scriptures say in this verse we just looked at where he's called us to subdue the earth. The reality is this. The, 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 the delicious like fruits and vegetables that you're going to enjoy on your plate um, during lunch or dinner today, like that doesn't just happen, does it? That happens because humans have cultivated the earth to make that possible. Humans cultivate the ground and plant and make lines of trees, and that's how we get apples. And and listen, a plant only has the ability to recreate itself, right? A seed falls from a plant, it lands somewhere, and then somewhere, in some disorderly fashion, another tree might come up, right? Or, Or an animal, a horse, only has the ability to create another horse. But humans... Humans have the ability to make wine and to write poetry and to make penicillin. Humans have the ability to create and cultivate God's good world. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. This is a great book, Every Good Endeavor. I would commend that to you if you're looking for something to read on this topic. Humans, at this point in the story, they're partnering with God, cultivating his good world. The scriptures say we were naked and unashamed. What that means is we had nothing to hide from God and nothing to hide from one another. But if you know this story, how long did that last? Not very long, right? About two chapters in the scriptures. Because then in chapter three, humanity decides to replace God's definition of good and evil with our own definition of good and evil. And from there everything fractures. So if you know the story, how it goes, the the humans come and they disobey God. They eat fruit from this tree that they were asked not to eat from. They decide that God's definition of what's good, what's right, and what's wrong, and what's evil is not good enough. So they define it for themselves and they disobey him. Everything falls apart from there. Chapter 3, verse 7 talks about how Adam and Eve, the very first humans, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. All of a sudden, they've gone from naked and unashamed to now being full of shame. And hiding from one another. Same thing in chapter 3, verse 12. Um, God comes and he's like, hey guys, like, w- what happened here? Was, was my definition of good and evil and all that I've given to you not good enough? And what they do is they start blaming each other. Adam's like, it wasn't me. It was her. She made me do it. And she's like, it wasn't me. It was this talking snake that manipulated me. And, and, and they start blaming. Why? Because then all of a sudden self-preservation at the expense of another comes into this picture and it fractures their relationships. Do you see what's happening here? This is decreation. While God was turning tohu, Vavohu into tov, sin comes into the picture and it decreates and starts to turn tov back into tohu, vavohu. Look at verse cha- chapter three, verse 17. It says, "Cursed is the ground because of you through painful Does that say work? That doesn't say work. It says through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And there it is. This is how we get to the collective ugh for Tuesday morning. Where work feels like toil. But that is not where the story ends, family. Because in the good news about Jesus, the renewal of all things through Jesus, there is a future for our work. So this present day where work feels like toil is not the end of the story. Because there is a future for our work. And our understanding of that future for our work is really closely tied to our imagination. I'll tell you this. I don't have a great imagination sometimes. So when I'm driving down the street and I see a pile of like old, beat-up furniture on the side of the street, I think to myself, man, that is an eyesore. I can't wait until uh, a, a truck comes, a garbage truck, and takes that stuff to the dump, okay? But some of you in this room... Um, you see this old beat-up piece of furniture on the side of the road, and what do you see? You see your next coffee table or your next dining room table. Um, some of you guys know Scott and Kathy, Matheny. They're part of our family here. And, and, you know, if you haven't talked to them, you should see some of the creative work that they do. I have another friend named Karen. Some of you might know her. She sees these tables on the side of the road and, you know, she'll make her husband throw them in the car and take them home. Let me show you a picture of something my friend Karen did. She finds this old beat-up table on the side of the road and it goes from looking like this to looking like that. That does not look like the same table, does it? Look at some of these other examples. If I saw this thing on the side of the street, I would be like, that is game over. Somebody needs to take that to the dump immediately. But someone had a vision to see its potential and turns it into that. Look at, this, look, look at this next one. You see an old table like, hey, that, you had a good run there, patio table, but uh, it's probably done. But apparently not, right? That, that somehow there's an imagination to see the, val- or see the value in what something could be. And the Bible invites us to have this type of vision, this type of, of uh, imagination as it relates to our work and God's world, right? Let's take a look. So in Colossians chapter 3, there's this really meaningful passage. Now, there's a really rich context and a rich passage here having to do with human relationships and what it is that that God is doing. But there's this principle in here in chapter 3, verse 23. If you've gotten to know me a little bit as a teacher, it is like not my MO to like pull out a verse and talk about it without its context. However, this this principle here permeates so much of the scriptures. I want to just take a quick look at it. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 23, says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I've had this taught to me. Often focusing just on that beginning part, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So I've had that taught to me as like, okay, Justin, like work harder because when you work hard, you're working for the Lord. Or just like start to will yourself into like, yeah, just, just change your perspective about work and just like work harder. But I think this passage in the scriptures and this large story is inviting us into so much more than that. Inviting us to see something that informs what we actually do. That we would see something before we do something. And look at what it is that this is inviting us to see. Who is it that this passage says that we work for? It says that we work for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And it's easy to just let that roll off. If you've been following Jesus for a little while, you're you're like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, we work for the Lord. Like, yeah, I I know that. But wait, 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 wait. Think about this for a second, okay? That the work that we do is for the Lord. It is actually the Lord Christ that we are serving. So we we get a paycheck from our employers, but we're merely lending them our time. We work for another, and we're invited to see that. What type of work is for the Lord? Well, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do is exactly what it looks like. That... All type of work is work for the Lord. If I put a panel up here of like a pastor, um, a a cashier, uh, an engineer, a lawyer, a hairdresser, and a missionary. Now, I think you kind of see where I'm going with, uh, with our lesson here today. However, if I just put that panel up there in a vacuum before we started this conversation, I said, who are the people on the stage that are doing the work for the Lord? The quickest answer would be, well, the pastor and the missionary first. But that is not what this passage says, is it? Whatever you do, whatever you do, all types of work, when they are done in the Lord, is done for the Lord. Well, there's more. Take a look at this. Whoops. Um, Whatever you do. So it says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Working for the Lord means we're in investing in something toward this inheritance. Now that word inheritance can be a little bit confusing. So, I, I'm an attorney. I know that like in the law when we use the word inheritance, we often think about like like an estate, right? Like something that maybe you would be entitled to as an heir down the road um in an estate that you would somehow become I- entitled to. Paul uses this word throughout his writings. This word Inheritance and he uses it over and over again to describe this future hope for Christ for Christians for followers of Jesus. And he borrows this phrase from the Israelites' journey from bondage, from slavery to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? Bees and goats, like one of my professors used to say, right? This journey from, from no boundaries around their work, just indentured servitude night and day to this place flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, their inheritance. To do what? To, to just like lay around and, and be on vacation all day? No, to work once again in the way that they were created to work. To start cultivating the ground in a way that is good, that is right, that is healthy, that brings tohu vavohu into tov once again. And and, and Paul is talking about that journey. And, and, And just like with the furniture that we were looking at a second ago, our ability to see something as having a redeemed and restored future is connected to the value we place upon that item in the present. Our imaginations of what our work and what it is that we are putting our hand to, our imaginations of what it could be. And we work toward that renewal and we work toward that restoration. So, wait, what's that? Oh, did I just hear one of you say that you miss 1 Corinthians? Yeah, I know. We were in it for like a year. Um, We're like 1 Corinthians experts now. I get that. But, you know, it's hard to just cut it out cold turkey. So I think we need to just take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because I think it's one of the richest chapters that talks about this exact thing. And it talks about our work, does it? I don't remember that part. Let's take a quick look. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at this. Just a, a quick refresher. As you remember, people of Corinth, they were struggling with this idea that someone could be risen from the dead. That someone could be dead. We watched him die. We watched blood and water flow from his side. We buried him. And then the idea that he could be alive again. That's hard to swallow today. It shatters all the categories that we have for life and death. And it was doing the same thing then and they we're struggling with that. So here's what they say. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man." You see what he's getting at here? Paul, he's been painting this amazing picture. We spent some weeks in it already. I know Paul's helping them see that Jesus is the very, very first one, the first fruit over whom death and decay and toil no longer have the last word. He's the first fruit of a new creation. And now everything that's true about him is true about every follower of, follower of his that's in this room, that now death and decay and toil do not have the last word over us. And this is the picture that that he's, he's painting here. That the full good news is a story that has a future for us in which death does not have the last word. Look at what he continues to say here. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be what? changed changed transformed it goes on it says in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable we will be what changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality see what he's getting at here that the resur- that in the resurrection, there's a a transformation of this world. He's describing the renewed, restored promised land that he used this this analogy from when he was talking about the Israelites' journey. It's it's the inheritance that he's talking about. And so so really, the question is like, what does this resurrection, this being changed, this being transformed, what does that actually have to do? With our work. Well, here's the interesting thing. And we spent like a couple of weeks in in this chapter a couple of weeks ago. And after painting this beautiful, profound picture of what it is that is to come. The renewal of all things. After painting this elaborate, beautiful picture. What is the thing that Paul says as he wraps up this line of thought? He says, let's get to work. Look at what it says here. This is chapter chapter 15, verse 50. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, again, if we read this on its own, if we hadn't taken a look at Colossians chapter 13, well, then we read this and we say, or Colossians chapter 3, rather. We look at this and we say, Give yourselves to the work of the Lord. Well, okay, yeah, so that's probably like the small group that I host at my house and my serving on one of the, one of the teams here in this family. And, 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 all, and things like that, oh, that's, that's the, the work of the Lord. But what did we see in Colossians chapter 3? What work qualifies, constitutes the work of the Lord? All, all work. Everything that we do in the Lord, we do for the Lord. And so, our work is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. That all work is part of this restorative work of the gospel, bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So, Guys, listen, as as good and as powerful and as meaningful and as right as it is for us to to be sharing the good news about Jesus in our workplaces and to be using the money that we earn to bring benefit in his world, that is good and that is right. What, What Paul's getting at here is that somehow some way as we are being changed and his world is being changed that in the gospel tohu vavohu is becoming tove once again that somehow the work itself that we put our hands to is bringing about that restoration so if you're a contractor somehow the act of hammering that nail into wood is bringing about God's renewed world if if whatever it is that you do Treat a patient in the hospital. um, Cut someone's hair. Whatever it is that you do with your waking hours, somehow, a snip of the scissors, a pound of a hammer, a a taking of of, of a vital of someone at the hospital, somehow the work itself, when done in the Lord and for the Lord, is bringing about God's renewed world. Because guys, if... If this were all just kind of like burning up, then then what is the point? What is the point of any of this? We should just stay here together and never leave this room until Jesus comes back to get us. But the picture that's painted in Revelation, when John sees what is to come in the future, the culmination of all of this is he sees this vision of heaven and earth coming together. And what God says from the throne as heaven and earth are coming together is he says, look, I am making all things new. And the words are important there because he doesn't say I'm making all new things. He's saying I am making all things new. And that's the reason why our work here in this world, in this moment, the things that you do on Tuesday morning, they matter. They are a part of that restoration. Whatever type of work that you do, it's, it's, it's like restoring that furniture that we take a, took a look at before. Guys, we are not polishing silverware on the Titanic. We are not rearranging chairs on a ship that's going down. We are working on a ship that is in disrepair, but is God's good world. That he is in the process of what? Changing, of renewing. And he does that. He does that through you. And he does that through me. That our work in all of its excellence, in all of its creativity, in all of its its beauty, that we are once again in the power of the good news about Jesus, that we are once again bringing tohu vavohu into tov, turning formlessness and emptiness into that which is good. We get to be the hands and feet of God himself right here as the Spirit of God is on you and in you and working through you, that everything you touch, everything that you do in your work, it makes a difference. It is changing this world and renewing it. And it's easy for us. It's like we ask ourselves, okay, well, you know, how might this grand story inform our view of our work? Well, I'll be honest. I struggle with that. I struggle with that sometimes. I'll think about my work and I'll be like, what is is the point of this? And, you know, it is not as if we need to look across a 20 or 30 or 40 year career to be able to reach this. You don't even have to look at a week. You don't even have to look at a day. Here's what I would, I would implore us to, to consider as a family, that when, when we get up in the morning on Tuesday and when we go to work or school or whatever it is, even if it is just one task at a time, the very first thing that you put your hand to on Tuesday morning to say that this work, the work itself, whatever I actually did, Whatever numbers I just calculated, if I'm an accountant. Whatever nail I just hammered into a wall. Whatever it is that I did, that the work itself, when done in the Lord, is done for the Lord, is bringing about his renewed world. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? That we are a part of a huge, epic story here. That you are a part of God's grand story of restoring all things. You know, I love the fact that we get to have communion together as a family most weeks. Because when we eat of that bread and we drink of that cup, like Trevor's going to lead us through in a second, it, it, it reminds us that the life and the death and the resurrection, it truly does permeate every corner, every crevice of our life that we would rethink and reevaluate and experience in a new way this epic story that... that we are a part of. And my prayer for us as a church family is that we would lean into this, friends. We are here for that purpose. We are here to partner and co-rule and subdue the earth and partner with God once again to turn that which is formless and empty into that which is good. And you guys do that every day. My, my hope is that we would just see it a little bit more clearly and that it would inform our perspective and it would illuminate and bring to life the work that we do, because we work differently, because we work in God's epic story of making all things new. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. So God, this, this story is yours. You are the God who loves and values your creation beyond anything that we could understand or explain or imagine. And you are the one that says, look, I am making all things new. God, I thank you that we are here in your world, not wasting time on something that's going down, but joining you and partnering you and rebuilding it once again. God, would you cause us to have a sense in the deepest part of our being, no matter what type of work that that is, that everything that we put our hand to, that you Have your spirit on us and you work in us and you work through us to bring your kingdom on earth, on Long Island, in our towns, in our homes, as it is in heaven. God, you are so good. We are so thrilled to be a part of this story with you. We love you. We thank you. Keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.